Okay. So I'd like to um, talk a bit now about this um, idea of infusing our whole life with the Dharma as um, we'll go through those chariot verses in the process of that. So in the sitting we just did, we, we were aiming toward letting go. And if we relax and let go really deeply, it becomes a felt memory in the body. You know, we may have we may be able to remember times when we were able to let go in some deep way. And some some sort of space gets created in the mind when we do that. So even if then you know, later we're not as relaxed, not as let go, shall we say, attachments come back, we still retain some kind of a sense of space uh, from that time when we did. It becomes a reference point, you know, having this you know, understanding, oh, it's possible, it's possible to let go that far, even though my mind not, may not be there right now. So we retain it. And liberating wisdom is that freedom there that is our reference point that's available. So once we have some kind of an experience, any experience of letting go that becomes our reference point, it's possible then to kind of juxtapose freedom and caughtness. And it's clear, you know, it's then clear to what degree we're caught at a given moment. And this can become a perspective as we go through life, is to reference that place that we know about and um, navigate by whether we're going toward or away from it, essentially. And this will eventually lead us all the way to complete freedom, that kind of process. So whatever your deepest experience is, uh, I encourage you to take that as some kind of a reference point. It's important to honor your deepest experience, to take it seriously, not to attach to it because it will change, but to use it as a way to move along the path. Yeah. Now, what is it that you know that you're really sure about? So when we have an insight of some kind, um, it shifts our view. That's maybe one of the signature features of an insight is that it shifts our view. And whatever view, this view is the beginning of the Eightfold Path, right? That's the first step is wise view or appropriate view. And so if we're traveling along nominally along the Eightfold Path and we have some kind of a shift of view, we can consider that in some ways the path is starting again at that moment. It's kind of a spiral process. <laughs> so we start again from that perspective. And that new view we can take as the beginning of our path. We'll find that from it, there are different intentions, maybe second step of the path, right? And then from that, different behaviors. And from that, different possibilities for how to cultivate the mind. So this is the evolution 
of right view and each subsequent step of the path. I would guess that you have already undergone some shifts in perspective during the course of your practice, right? Um, most people, when they encounter the Dharma, have some recognition of this is useful to me. And then usually fairly soon, there's some kind of another shift, like, oh, I really want to do this. I want to start meditating, or I want to go to the center every week, or whatever it is that we do to engage. Already, there's an insight, there's a shift of view somehow. And that, in a sense, is a beginning. We may realize then that our prior rushing around, it was not so skillful, or certain attitudes we were carrying, or difficulties we were having, we can see in a different way. So we slow down, we meditate more, we consider our life. And that's not the end, you know, somewhere then farther along, we may realize, oh, I need to do something else, I need to shift jobs, or I need to change something else about my life, my relationships. Uh, or something um, positive that we need to bring in. I, I think I'd like to go on a retreat. You know, that would be interesting. So, you know, things start changing. Perspectives start changing. Um, some people go more into service. They realize, oh, I want to do some compassionate action or just simple volunteer at the center or something like that, while also fortifying ourselves with meditation. So... None of, none of those is a template that you need to follow. It's, there's many, many different options, but um, I think life along the path of awakening doesn't have to look any particular way, but it does keep shifting, and we have to kind of keep up with it. Remember that first quote I talked about earlier of, I crossed the flood by neither standing still nor by pushing ahead like that in life if we can't just stand still the way it is now you can't just freeze something's going to change but on the other hand if you try to make it all work and control it and make it look like that that's probably not going to work either we have to somehow be responsive so jack cornfield um, writes whatever our gate to enlightenment the first real taste, stream entry, is followed by many more tastes as we learn to stabilize, deepen, and embody this wisdom in our unique life. Each person manifests enlightenment with his or her or their own flavors. So whether or not you think you're enlightened, um, we can, I think, apply this, this principle all along the path. So I think, you know, part of our job on the path is to discern how we're kind of turning out as we go along and be willing to go with that and also be willing to be surprised by that. I use this quote a lot, but I like it a lot. It's from um, Misha Merrill. She says, you may think that you're becoming a chocolate cake, but you might actually be becoming a steak. So, you know, we sometimes have an idea about how we're turning out or how we should turn out, how we should look after we practice for a while. But then we might actually be looking like something different. And, and that's okay. You know, there's part of this, this trusting of how the path is unfolding, um, how the Dharma is evolving in our life. 
it's not really like that, um, you know, what color is your parachute idea? That That's a little different. That's more of a cognitive exercise. And it kind of, I think it relied a little too much on thought and analysis. Uh, what we're talking about here is not really a self that's wearing a certain color parachute and taking charge of our life, going forward with a plan. Um, it's much more that in the Dharma life, the path is built out of our actions. It's built out of our immediate actions, taking shape as we walk. Yeah, so it actually doesn't exist. <laughs> the path doesn't exist until we step forward <laughs> and do it. <laughs> but on the other hand, the, the converse of that is if we do step forward, it must exist. That is what the path is. It's us taking a step forward. So there can't be nothing. So step, step forward and uh, keep paying attention. Try to step forward in a good direction and then pay attention and see what the next step needs to be. So I want to show then that, um, that verse. Again, I think I'll put it on the screen this time for those who learn by reading. But I'll read it also in case you don't want to look. So passing through bewilderment. Resounding with a troop of nymphs, accompanied with a troop of goblins, this forest is called bewildering. How does one travel through it? Straight is the name of the path. Fearless is the name of the destination. The chariot, called noiseless, is fitted with dharma wheels. Conscience is its bench. Mindfulness, the upholstery. The Dharma, I say, is the charioteer. Right view runs ahead. Whoever has such a vehicle, whether a woman or man, has with this vehicle approached Nibbana. So we're back to knowing the parts of the chariot. <laughs> This is a theme in all the images that we've explored today, but here it's given a different, different spin, right? A different shade. So we have a chariot image, but there is no you actually. Um, the Dharma is the charioteer. It doesn't say you're the charioteer driving your Dharma carriage through life. It says the Dharma is the charioteer. So I don't think this is meant as some something supernatural, you know, like we're turning our life over to some higher being. I don't think that's quite right. I think it means that your orientation becomes different uh, about how you're navigating life, different from conventional aims, if you will. Even if your life still looks sort of normal on the outside, I mean, here we are. We're it's not doesn't say you have to be ordained to do this. We're lay people um, living some kind of a Dharma life. But I think we can live um, a conventional looking life from a non, an un, unconventional or non-conventional perspective, I think. So um, I'm reminded of uh, that in the, in the Tibetan tradition, there are these, um, it's typical that when people awaken, there's, they are said that they will sing a song, and there's a, um, a, a type of 
awakening song called Doha. And there's a bunch of them recorded in some of the Tibetan teachings of, you know, masters who have woken up and then they sort of spontaneously sing something. And usually they're uh, somewhat complex and have a lot of references and imagery in them. But there is one that's a single line. It's very short. So I thought that would be a good one that I could actually read. Um, so it goes, it's by a practitioner named Krishna. And it, it says, my mind is topsy-turvy. That's the whole song. And I, I don't think it means, um, you know, that his, he's gone crazy, although we might feel like that sometimes on the path, but he's, um, he's woken up. And so, and he says, wow, my mind is topsy-turvy. And I think what it means is that he has, he's no longer going by conventions and by typical aims in life and by um, the usual motivations that we might have or wanting to look a certain way. So his mind is just has sort of flipped over and he's just, he's living more from the Dharma um, with the aim of always moving toward freedom as opposed to moving toward looking good, moving toward getting things, uh, trying to avoid pain or death or embarrassment or whatever our deepest fears are. Remember the... Um, Dharma chariot is called fearless. That's the definite destination, actually. So where we're going, there's no fear of any of that. Um, we can just live. So just as one example, um, Heidi, you already have a question. Go for it. I, I was stuck on wondering why the chariot is called noiseless. Oh, um, let me get to that. I think it's a good question. Um, yeah, I'll get to that. So I want to first give an example just to finish this point of the topsy-turvy, the positive side of topsy-turvy, that is, which is, um, you know, suppose that in your life you're a, a social activist or otherwise working for the good of people as in society. And so there's, you know, the the conventional way maybe of doing this, and you'll find plenty of conventional support for being very angry, um, being anxious, being judgmental, um, and also um, uh, working really hard, like working yourself to the bone because you know it's for the good of others, we've got to do the mission, etc. You'll have no trouble finding support for a lifestyle like that. Um, but the issue with this is that all of those things are related to attachment of various kinds. And so the result guaranteed that if you're involved with attachment, there will be suffering. And so, you know, there's going to be uh, disappointment if it doesn't work out. There's going to be a lot of um, internal uh, tension from the anger that you're carrying or the fear. Um, you may feel kind of deflated if things don't work out, or you may get even angrier and, you know, just drive yourself harder. And a lot of people get really burned out doing all of that because it's not being done in a very wise way. So then they hear the Dharma and they think, oh, I have to give up all of this. I have to give up my anger. I have to give up my passion. Um, I don't think I'm interested, but I think an awakened person can be a so social activist too, but you have to have a topsy-turvy attitude about it. Um, you can do all the same things in a sense, but from a Buddhist perspective, a person would do all of that in line with the Dharma. 
So the mind would be concerned with not causing suffering and that, and also not suffering itself. So in the process of doing all those things, of supporting people, of engaging in the improvement of society, there would really be coming from a motivation of compassion, of care, of love. Those would be the primary emotions rather than anger, judgment, and fear, for example, and maybe flavoring, flavored with the wisdom of not being stressful about that. So not working oneself to the bone, but working effectively um, in the time that one can and then resting so that it's effective again the next time. If an action doesn't succeed, the mind says, well, this would be a good time for equanimity <laughs> and, and then continue on. So I'm sure it could look other ways too, but I'm giving, trying to give very concrete examples of how one can still engage in what one is doing in life, but from a perspective that's quite different maybe from those around one in a non-suffering way, still being able to do good in the world. Conversely, one doesn't have to do that. One could, maybe one is already working in a totally different job as a scientist or something and possible to keep doing that, but also from a Dharma perspective. Or you can change. You could become a scientist if you're a social activist. That works too. <laughs> it doesn't have to look any one way, um, just like Jack Cornfield said. So noiseless then, I haven't forgotten that question. I think the noise is the what we add to experience. So we go through life and we know what the noise in the mind is, right? We hear encounter it every time we sit down. There's all this noise about this and that and what I should do and what I didn't do and what she did. Or even if we're not in that space, we can sometimes have some noise about whether we're doing it right. How's the meditation going? Oh, I'm actually getting calm. Now I've forgotten what I'm supposed to do at that point. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Um, whereas I think the mind of a an awakened being is pretty quiet. Um, doesn't mean they don't talk. Remember the Buddha talked about when people come and ask me things, I just respond uh, in the moment because I know the Dharma. So um, in the same way, I think the mind of a, a Dharma, serious Dharma practitioner is aiming toward being more noiseless. We travel the path quietly, simply not adding a lot. Does that help, Heidi? Yeah, okay. Um, so as we're traveling in this chariot, I think our happiness becomes less tied to worldly conditions being a certain way or not. Um, awakened people, I think, are free to be happy a lot of the time because it's not as um, tied to whether things are pleasant or painful. Um, you know, they'll do what's appropriate. If something's painful, they'll work to, you know, to relieve the suffering of that. But I think it's possible to be positive and happy while we do that. Not positive in a fake way, but genuinely um, in a good mind state. This, um, I'll read another verse. This verse describes an arahant, so someone who is completely free. Not clinging, they are freed with the destruction of birth and death. Happy, attaining safety, they are released here and now. They have gone beyond all fear and hate. They have escaped all suffering. So it says specifically that arahants are happy. I like that. 
Now we not, may not be um, completely there. This is a, a path about a fully awakened being, but still the Dharma life moves in this direction. It moves us toward greater happiness, less fear, etc. Um, the orientation of the mind is toward non-clinging, whether you have a family, a job, etc. Just orient the mind toward non-clinging, not as motivated by getting things or having a certain image, but Instead, we're motivated to let go of the self when it arises, to be of service, and to continue to investigate ordinary sense experience. We're still eating, sleeping, walking around, can observe all of that, investigate it. The insight teacher Stephen Batchelor says that the path is found amidst the most mundane of circumstances as well as the most sublime. I like that. It says every moment is the path. You know, sometimes we, we start thinking, oh, I haven't been able to get on retreat for a long time or whatever. Um, and that's the only place where my practice really advances. But that's just a view, just an idea. The path is found among the most mundane of circumstances as well as the most sublime. As long as we're not clinging in this moment, that's a moment of the path. So... Because the Dharma is in charge, not us, um, we might be surprised by what comes along in our path and our life, how things flow. I think we're still going to have all those joys and sorrows of a human life. Um, even the Buddha had problems. I don't think he felt deep sorrow for them, but he didn't have it all easy. Um, somebody, his cousin tried to kill him, for example. That's not really pleasant, but he was, when he was fully awake, um, these things happen. But uh, nonetheless, we will see them differently. You know, we'll see uh, the things that happen to us in a different way. So then that opens up new possibilities, actually. Simply seeing things differently, literally, is what opens the new possibilities. The hard work is to learn to see differently. Not really the hard work is to change our life into something vastly different. So it comes down to this moment, you know, to the unfolding of this moment to the next moment. How did we do that? And, um, you know, this moment has all the perfect conditions for awakening. So this is also um, from Jack Cornfield. So is enlightenment a myth? No, it is not far away. It is freedom here and now to be tasted whenever you open to it. The Buddha declares if it were not possible to free the heart from entanglement, I would not teach you to do so. But just because it is possible to free the heart, there arise the teachings of the Dharma of liberation offered open-handedly for the welfare of all beings. Aim for nothing less. So I hope your vehicle for 2021 which is none other than your body, speech, mind, normal life, um, is going to carry you far along the path this year. And with that, I'll ask if there are any questions or, or comments at this point. Yeah, heavy. So do you think to me, like the right view um, 
running ahead is hilarious. Like, do you think the Buddha realized that that was like, was, was that like totally did Why the, do you consider it hilarious? Is there any indication that the Buddha like knew or, or had that kind of sensibility, a sense of humor? Well, the Buddha definitely had a sense of humor. I don't have any doubt about that, but I'm curious what you find humorous in the right view running ahead. I mean, it's meant to be the horses. Yeah, but it's just the right view is, you know, view of seeing, right? And yeah. I mean, like, if you're going to navigate through anything, it's a good idea to see. And um, so, yeah, like, you know, and to know where you're going, although that could be intention. I just, I, it's the double meaning of the word view. I think that's I, what I think is funny. I would guess that was not an accident. Yeah. Just... It's so it's hilarious. I think it's hilarious. it is hilarious. I love this because um, you know people might say why is that hilarious, but like I did it first. But it there comes a point in doing sutta study when you've read enough of them and you get used to the language that they actually are hilarious. <laughs> there are other instances in the in the readings where somebody will say something to the Buddha and you just think, oh my gosh, because you just have an imagining of this scene. Um, so yeah, I love that tickled you and you thought it was hilarious. That's a, a very good uh, stage to get to in, in sutta reading. They are quite funny. Thanks. Okay, and then I saw um, Kitty's hand next and then Val. So I really like the idea of an enlightenment song. And um, so the, and that one, um, my mind is topsy-turvy. Um, so I, you might have been alluding to this, but um, my thought was that it's like you, you can see that your mind tends to grasp onto things. And so, you know, but when you, when you just go, oh, it's just topsy-turvy mind, then you can, you know, let go as soon as you see you're starting to grasp, something like that. I see. That could be um, another another aspect of it. Uh, I think when a person becomes fully awakened and it really eliminates the roots of greed, hatred, and delusion, then the mind isn't topsy turvy anymore. Um, but mm -hmm. one might look at the rest of the world and realize that one's mind is different, very different from the usual conventional mm -hmm. way. But I like mm -hmm. your interpretation too. I don't think there's only one is that along the path while we're applying wisdom, you know, when we're in a state of mindfulness and, and awareness, we can see the antics of our mind with a sense of humor, you know, mm -hmm. instead of saying, because, you know, instead of having self judgment, like, ah, oh, there goes my mind again. Oh, I can't believe it. You just exactly. You know, it's uh, definitely, um, I mean, the mind is very silly, isn't it? So we can have <laughs> along the way. And then maybe at some point um, we will be completely in the, in the correct view and think that the rest of the world is a bit topsy-turvy. Right. Thank, Thank you. you. Val. Uh, no big profound thing here. I just want to thank you for that bewilderment. Uh, Sutta, I'd never heard that before. And... Um, it just brought me, being a, 
a person who's visual and a doer, it brought me this great joy while I was sitting. I just started smiling. I don't usually smile while I'm meditating. And it just, a natural a joy arose in me. And um, I don't know, I just really appreciate it. I think, it's, is it SN 1.46 or something? Yeah. Yeah, it's in and the chapter. I on yeah, I, I just want to thank you for that. I just really appreciated the imagery of it. And it just was something I, I think I want to, um, you know, I can turn to once in a while that feels really good because I'm a person who tends to lean in. And I want I like the idea of just sitting there and letting it flow and go go for the ride. And I thought, gee, maybe even Jane Austen would like this little chariot. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Sometimes people complain about the chariots because they say we don't have those anymore. But, you know, even just a century and a half ago, we had carriages. Carriages, right? Thanks. You're welcome. Katie, was your hand up there? Yes, it was. Um, my mind is a little topsy-turvy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, the, the uh, meaning of the word Mara as mindful, mindfulness of death, because um, I was thinking being aware of and meditating on death as, as something that's actually helpful or something that we're supposed to do. And yeah, no, everything. Mara is the name for death. Maranasati is mindfulness of death. It's a practice. Oh, okay. So right. you're correct that mindfulness of death practice is is a good thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you. Okay. Heidi. While we're talking about things that are hilarious, I always find the, the Mara stories, the way they end, very hilarious because he always kind of does busted or Curses spoiled again. It's Curses like spoiled again. Character. It's just so sad great. and disappointed. He disappeared yes. right there. Busted. <laughs> and and it's so like the way when when I realize that oh I've been completely you know thinking of something wrong or causing myself suffering. There's this sudden feeling like I don't need to do this. It, it's and and it feels like oh how how foolish I've been. Um, so I, I, I love that, that, that imagery. Thank you for pointing us to that, yeah. It's often true, right, that when you see the bad guy, he, he gets kind of revealed or reduced in power. And that's how it is with Mara, is that when he's seen clearly, he can't stick around. He has to, he has to go. Maybe Buddha was an early cartoonist. Maybe, yeah. Curses foiled again. Exactly. Val, it's so sun funny you said that because really I was just thinking a few minutes ago somebody should do a kid's cart. Well, while Heidi was talking, I was thinking somebody should do a children's cartoon of, you know, with these scenes, especially, you know, the Mara series. So. You could make pretty good... Uh cartoon series out of this. There are kids books that are, you know, about the Buddha and so forth. So yeah, people have done such things. Okay. 
Well, I'm going to put um, in the chat a couple of Donna links. Just um, so these, as always, these teachings are offered freely, and there's one for the teacher and one for the Sangha. Um, so feel free to avail yourself of those if you're so moved, sort of like pay it forward and that I offer freely and then these help me continue. Um, and so then we'll just be coming to the, the close of, of today. And I thank you very much for your participation. It's been a real joy. It's um, fun to look at these chariot images in the suttas and see that they all um, point toward teachings that are quite useful. So we've looked first at the spontaneous speech of, you know, you know, the parts of the chariot. And so, you know, um, don't need to plan ahead your responses. And we can think about how we might wish to engage with that in our life in 2021. And then also this sense of uh, not self and, um, you know, uh, seeing that things are conditioned, including the being, including ourselves. We're just made of these different parts. Um, it's not so personal. We have, you know, we still have to train it and so forth, but there's a lot of freedom in understanding that it doesn't really um, mount to something that's so dramatic. <laughs> and then of course, the teaching of living a whole Dharma life and having all the supports of our life be aimed toward going down the path. We have this marvelous chariot and the Dharma is the charioteer so we can uh, relax and let it unfold and uh, travel down the straight path toward fearlessness and Nibbana. So I wish all of you well on your Dharma journey this year and we might just take a moment to dedicate the merit of our good work today to um, the beings that we'll encounter this evening or tomorrow, onwards and outwards, wishing that any uh, good qualities that came forth through our engagement with practices today will come to benefit all beings in some way. May all beings be happy, may all beings be peaceful, and may all beings everywhere find freedom. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.